This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Well, welcome to Practical for Your Practice, uh, CDP's podcast about evidence-based psychotherapies. I'm Dr. Kevin Holloway. I'm here with, as usual with Jenna Ermold and Andy Santanello. You guys want to say hi? Hi. Hello. And uh, joining us today is a good friend of mine for many years, Dr. Michael Jones. Um, and uh, actually, he's was with CDP not so long ago, so uh, but he's moved on to other interesting things. Michael, tell us about yourself, what you're doing. Hey, everyone. Yeah, so if you uh, if you were uh, if you're a big fan of CDP and spend all of your time uh, following <laughs> them, you may have seen me and and I, I do make a few appearances and a few sleep videos as well. Um, That's right. I'm the guy with the uh, with the butt chin and the receding hairline. <laughs> so. Uh, so my name is Mike Jones. I am a uh, I'm a, a psychologist. I work uh, I currently work as a uh, as a contractor with with the uh, with the army, um, and and of course all of everything that I say is uh, is my own opinion. But uh, I uh, I joined the the Air Force short, shortly after September 11th, and actually Dr. Ermold was one of my uh, first supervisors. Best and intern so, ever. <laughs> and and definitely the best supervisor ever. And so uh, anything I, I say is probably because she corrupted me early on in my in my career. Um, but I I, I uh, felt kind of like a patriotic draw when um, after September 11th um, I was a, I was a PhD student when that all happened. Uh, I had an uncle who had been a fighter pilot, uh, flew F-15s, and so growing up I had a lot of exposure to the military and was always uh, always drawn to that. And uh, then while I was a grad, while I was an undergrad and a grad student, I worked uh, quite a bit with local law enforcement and just uh, I've always felt a connection to uh, to to kind of the first responder uh, military type of people because they have a unique set of uh, set of stresses that they go through. And uh, that, that goes way back to when I was an undergrad student and, and, and really uh, felt a passion for working with that type of population. So. Um, so joined joined the Air Force, um, had had a great time, um, active duty, and uh, uh, I, too much too many stories, too many good things to talk about when it comes to that. But uh, I got to do a deployment to to Afghanistan uh, during that time. Uh, I became a uh, became a re reservist, uh, meaning that uh, that weekend warrior where you do one weekend a month, two weeks a year, with occasional deployments. Uh, after I finished my four years of active duty. Um, uh, like I mentioned, I did a deployment where I got to fly all over uh, Afghanistan and, and really see uh, some of the stresses that that uh, that our soldiers, uh, sailors, uh, Marine and airmen uh, are, are faced with when they're when they're in a combat zone. And um, I, you know, one one of the highlights of my career actually was to do that. Uh, came back and I and I spent. Uh, uh, probably close to a decade uh, doing uh, working in a programs and research uh, service where we did a lot of uh, research on on uh, on military and service members and and how to uh, how to maximize benefits for treatment. Uh, following that, I, I did a couple little stints where I was um, 
again, all of this is a civilian um, working for particular uh, army units. And uh, as was mentioned, I did a stint um, working for CDP um, as one of uh, at one of the army internship sites. And in fact, during my whole time working as an army civilian, I'm, I've almost always taught a couple of classes or been on faculty uh, at the at the internship sites uh, teaching teaching a young uh, baby army psychologist is a passion <laughs> I have for teaching. Um, later, I transferred to the Army Reserves, and I've done another another deployment to the Middle East since then. Um, and so I've been able to see the way that the uh, that uh, military um, the military has changed, and the nature of deployments have changed from the the early two thousands to the, the late two thousands. And uh, presently, I, I'm I work as a as a psychologist within an army unit, and so uh, you know day to day, I'm I'm getting questions and and dealing with uh, with the long aftermath and, and even the the ongoing kind of uh, struggles that people have uh, with with the uh, with their their military service um and then dialing back even further um dr holloway and i were, were went to a program together uh, for for our, our phd program that, that had a strong focus on um psychotherapy research but but in a, a little bit of an unusual way because most psychotherapy research that you all hear about is um, is uh, you know in empirically supported treatments so a specific treatment for a specific diagnosis such as you know, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia um, but there is a branch of, of psychotherapy research that's focused on on general um, general factors and, and so I've been exposed to that all the way back in, in grad school and I think that's what we'll talk about today. Yeah, my so, long story. Well, and and such relevant experience. I think it's really cool for for people to hear that because, you know, you're you got a long long experience working with the types of people with the types of populations that a lot of people who I think listen to this podcast have, um, but also relevant, you know, from the the teaching side of things for EBPs and and for psychotherapy in general. I, it, I mean, it's it, it's one of the reasons we really wanted to to invite you to participate in the conversation today. Cause so I mean, just to, to orient our listeners, one of the things, you know, the, that we like to do in the podcast is think about like questions that people ask us during workshops and, and kind of the, the issues uh, that they'll bring up. And I think one that I've heard a lot and perhaps you all have heard too, is as we're talking about, you know, as we're, as we're teaching a protocol, for example, for, you know, specific treatment for a specific disorder, um, uh, the question comes up quite a bit of like, well, how do common factors fit into this? Um, and I think it's a really important question for us to talk about, you know, that, you know, it, is psychotherapy nothing more than a checklist that we run down and check all the boxes or like, where does, where do these other things fit in? So I don't know, as we're, as we're just, as we're kind of getting started with that, I don't, you know, let's maybe kind of orient people into what we're talking about when we mean common factors, like what common factors are we even you know, referring to. What are these common factors? <laughs> That's a great question. And that how common the are they? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like common sense, right? Well, I, and I'll tell you, I, I think when people ask that question, the one that, that immediately comes to mind is therapeutic alliance right? That relationship and the importance of that relationship. And I think that's an important piece of this. So maybe we can start there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll run through a, a lot of the common factors are, are stuff that, that are alliance-based and uh, things such as, you know, uh, having, having uh, accurate empathy, 
that, that the, uh, the therapist is able to, to communicate an understanding and that the, the, the client can, can feel that from them. Um, alliance and uh, that, that sometimes gets into things such as uh, collaboration and consensus that, that, that both people feel like they're working toward a common goal. And, and uh, yeah, that, that's part of that alliance. And then some of the some of the traditional Rogerian types of stuff, such as uh, you know that positive regard, that that affirmation, that that uh, the therapist communicating that this that you are you know you are you are a good human who is who is trying their best, um, you know congruence and genuineness. The you know the, uh, when the the therapist makes a statement or makes a comment that it feels it feels genuine uh, and not not faked. Um, so th those are, those are generally what are thought of as the, as the common factors. So, and, and so related to that, I think, you know, that I, the sense that I get sometimes when people ask us is that, you know, I, I was always taught, for example, I mean, I'm maybe speaking in their voice. I was always taught that common factors pretty much account for all of the the change that we see in psychotherapy. And so if we focus on common factors and we don't need all this other stuff, why do we even need you know, CBT for insomnia, for example, why do we need ACT? Why do we need you know, any of these, these protocols or these approaches if we've got common factors on board? Yeah, and that's a good question. And I, and I, uh, if, if I can pull a CBT term, um, I think that maybe sometimes displays our, our tendency for black and white thinking <laughs> that, it, yes. that it, it must be one <laughs> or the other that, that we cannot have, uh, that, that somehow common factors do not exist do not coexist with, uh, with, uh, with specific treatments. And, um, I, I think that that often, um, so, I mean, if you go back into the, the origin of the, the common factors research, and this goes back like to the 1930s, um, but basically they were starting to do review articles that were comparing treatments head to head. And they were starting to see that, uh, a lot of these treatments kind of, uh, had equal success. So if you were looking at, um, some of the, interper the focused interpersonal treatments or a brief uh, dynamic treatment that, that they were having, you know, a close to equivalent success as, as other treatments. And that's really what prompted the, uh, you know, often the joke is the dodo bird verdict, which is the, the scene from, from Alice in Wonderland where uh, uh, the dodo bird pro proposes a race and, and they all run around in a circle uh, until, until they get dry. And then they're like, well, who won? And, and the Dodo bird says, everybody won and everyone must have prizes. Um, it's a famous paper in, in, in psychotherapy research. Um, and, but it, it prompted this idea of like, well, if, if, if we are seeing a lot of overlap in success between the different treatments, what, what are the, why is that? And I think that's actually what prompted the common factors, uh, uh, research. But I think if it's like, hey, common factors account for a large proportion of the change, I think that's that's maybe. I think sometimes I think I, uh, Dr. Holloway, I think I think what I see is is two pieces. One is people think all common factors is like empathy. It's just the it's just the hey, how are you doing? It's the I, I always joke. It's the huggy huggy uh, psychotherapy. Stuff, right? Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, if you really dig into what, what is alliance and what is this idea of full consensus and collaboration? Um, I think that's maybe where uh, people are, aren't, aren't necessarily thinking about that when they, when they talk about common factors and, and how having a, having a goal, um, 
can can really is is part of the common factors. And so, um, working with people toward a specific outcome, such as uh, you know reducing insomnia or uh, you know reducing the number of nightmares, like that's that is part that like that has been kind of subsumed into the common factors research as well. Well, and I I think sometimes the fear, maybe, maybe the question comes from fear that I'm going to have to give up these great things that I know work with lots of my clients if I take on this sort of more rigid protocol that's an EBP, instead of seeing the EBP as the structure, you know, sort of the scaffolding to hang these other, you know, the common factors on, like you can't do one without the other and you have to have balance between the two and see the similarities, um, and, and so that that's almost where I sometimes feel like the question comes from, like, but wait, you know, isn't isn't is all this other stuff? And 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 how do I keep that and do this protocol? And what what's your experience with that? Yeah. And I think that is that I mean, we're kind of like getting to the end of the podcast at, right at the beginning. <laughs> but I, I do think that is for me, that's what what the answer has been. Like if I see someone back when I was training students, if I see a student going in there and they're they're cold and robotic and they're like reading out of the manual. And I did the same thing. Dr. Ramon probably remembers I, me I, no doing comment. the same thing. No comment. Um, <laughs> you're always warm and approachable. I don't know what you're always, talking about. And it's okay that we, we, we can go by first names on this podcast. <laughs> okay. We're really relaxed. Sorry. I don't want to take away from your, uh, all of your training and <laughs> status that you have. Remember I told you always call me Dr. Ramon. <laughs> always, always. It stuck with me. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's often where I go. And if I'm seeing that that student who is who is um, jumping in there and they're they're reading that script and they're they're very diligent. They're trying to go through. Okay, session one is is this. So session you know session one of of prolonged exposure is taking a detailed trauma history. And they're going they're through earnest, right? That's yeah, like, yeah, earnest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but that earnestness sometimes they becomes, um, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They're so focused on, uh, on the, the rigid technical aspects that they forget that this is a human endeavor. Like this is, this is an interpersonal process that we're going through. And, uh, there, there's a reason that people work with a, a therapist and a counselor. It's, it's a, it is a human interaction and there's, there's power in it. There's power in, um, in that, in that interpersonal re- uh, um, interaction to the point of, if you don't, if they don't feel that, that affirmation, that alliance and that, um, that positive regard, it really doesn't matter how skillful your, your uh, exposure treatment is. If, if they're not, if they don't feel like you understand, uh, and communicate an accurate empathy of, of how it is. So I, I always come off the top rope when I see a student robotic because, <laughs> Because yelling at someone to be more warm is is always the right way to go. That's one of the challenging aspects of it. Uh, you know, as I'm thinking about these common factors and you know being a human with another human in the room is is that sense of vulnerability. You know, we we talk about common factors as this variable that's important to pay attention to, and we kind of gloss over it. But it's also a little bit fuzzy, and it has a lot to do with this. I mean, you have to be vulnerable as a therapist. You got to be a human being in the room with that other human being. And as we're kind of talking about sticking to the protocol and focusing on technique and being in that role of expert, I think there is kind of that danger that the more expertise you have or the more you're trying to stick with the protocol. Um, And, you know, we've been talking about trainees, but I mean, you know, this also happens with seasoned professionals too. Mm -hmm. 
you can almost double down on if like if you notice there's sort of something with the alliance you can sort of double down on well i got to be even more technically correct and follow the protocol better which actually maybe makes that connection worse um so I guess that's something just to to sort of notice. There's a lot to track when you're doing EVP. And, and one of the things to track is the quality of your connection with the client. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a great story for this. I was working with, with a, a combat veteran who had some pretty substantial uh, PTSD. He, he was he was brought to me because he had uh, he had he had become pretty intoxicated um, one evening and started to say things. Um, you know, that, that really worried his, his buddies. And he kind of came to me unwillingly, um, was kind of forced in that, that way. And I, and I was, I was a very young and dumb kind of therapist. I'm like, all right, PTSD, we're going to do exposure treatment. Um, because I, I do believe in the power of exposure treatments for, for PTSD, even as someone who, who deeply, deeply believes in the power of common factors. So I jumped in with, with exposure treatment and, um, and we were kind of going along and like nothing's happening. And I'm, you know, I, I, it took me probably toward the end of the session. And I was, and I'm just like, I'm like, uh, Hey man, like this isn't, this doesn't seem to, we're not seem to be connecting on this. And then he said, uh, well, my dad was a psychologist <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, my, my jaw dropped and I just had a human moment where I laughed and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> I don't even like, I can't even imagine what my kids are going to have to go through. My <laughs> kids were pretty little at that point. And then he laughed and uh, it really was this, this kind of human connection moment. And where I, I had empathy, right? Like I saw that he was I, in that moment, I caught on that he was, he was very wary of me, probably related to, you know, some, some stuff. Uh, with with how he he grew up, and, and having a dad that was always in his business, just like I'm in my kids' business, <laughs> um, and, and and so I, I kind of laughed and, and said, "Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That sounds awful." And then he laughed, and and we we connected, and we actually had a very very great working relationship out of that, um, and we're able to to do some successful exposure types of treatment um, um, that that I don't think would have happened without me having that kind of uh, working on the, the, uh, the empathy and that positive regard and affirmation. Well, and, and the, I think just your, I love that example. And uh, you know, in that moment, how you are spontaneously human. And I think that's also one of the challenges I think in training clinicians and working on becoming, you know, working on the common factors is a lot of it has to do with those spontaneous moments. How do you, how do you train spontaneity? you know, without it seeming really stilted, right? How, how do you manualize spontaneity? Yeah. Like, uh, like what's the checklist? <laughs> I, I, have, I haven't read, I haven't read that research yet. I'm not sure. <laughs> you should write that up. <laughs> it's all you, Andy. This is yeah, you have your no, marching orders. But yeah. No interest in that. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's just one of those things that's I think tricky. And one of the reasons that common factors just sort of gets put in this box of, yeah, this is important. Therapists need to have that. Uh, accounts for a lot of the variants, but like, make sure you do that. We're just going to assume you've got it, you know, but getting into that, the nitty gritty of what actually happened in that moment that you talked about, it's, it's, it's harder. I think, I don't know if our models that we yeah. work from really give us a way of adequately, um, sort of 
talking about that and conceptualizing it in a way that doesn't reduce it down to rules to follow or steps that you have to, you know, go through every time. Yeah, that's a great point. I know Kevin and I, you know, we went to a program that was kind of like Yugoslavia, right? It was like every different, every different professor had a very, very strong feeling about what therapy should look like. So we had like a, like a no kidding, uh, David Burns trained, um, you know, CBT uh, professor. And we had, uh, and we had a, like a, like third generation Rogerian uh, trained person. We had like interpersonal individuals and we had, we had psychodynamic uh, professors and, a, and, and one or two that were very well known uh, group therapy researchers as well. And, and, and uh, like, I feel pretty, pretty lucky that, uh, that I had that experience because I, I, I think back to one of my professors, Kevin, you might remember this, this story. Um, she was, she was a psychodynamic uh, and group therapist, and she was uh, showing videos of her doing group therapy. And um, in this group therapy moment, uh, her stomach uh, grumbled. Um, and uh, she, uh, one of the, the, the group uh, participants tried to try to be motherly um, to, to kind of jump into a little bit of psychodynamics, which was her style. And she said, Oh, you know, are you hungry? And she said, no, I'm, I'm nervous. I really want to be able to make this point right now. And this is a tense situation. And, and, uh, and so to have some of that, have a little bit of the interpersonal and dynamic training, I, I think that often they had a little more of that language for how to, how to, how to work through and understand your own, your own feelings, um, as you were doing therapy to me has been really valuable. And, and like, I had a guy come in just, just two days ago, um, who, uh, who uh, I, I've known him for about four years, ever since I started working in this particular place. And uh, he's, he's kind of having the, the start of some panic attacks um, in a certain uh, training situation, um, starting to hyperventilate, feel kind of the constriction and everything, and probably not, not quite diagnostic, but certainly a prodromal. And um, that's the right word for panic attacks. Um, and uh, he and I had a long, we have a long history together. And so we went right to, to developing a, an exposure hierarchy. So like, like I'm like, I'm all about exposure treatments and we went through and we found like, Hey, here's, here's the worst. Here's, here's a, here's a zero here's a one, two, three, four, five. And like, okay, Hey, we're at a five. And for you, uh, you're going to, you're going to put on your helmet and your, 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 uh, your, your flak vest, and you're going to go run out in the heat. And that's going to recreate this pressure sensation for you in a way that you can desensitize, um, but without like the consequences of an eight or nine, right? So that's standard like panic treatment. Uh, and I didn't even have any kind of uh, alliance because it was already there. Um, but I think, I think if you, if you ignore, if you're not making sure that, that the primary, that the alliance is primary, um, that can go really south. I think that's going back to something that came up earlier. I think that's, you know, one of the things that people get concerned about when they come to an EVP workshop or consider implementing EVPs in their practice. There's that fear of I have to put down everything that I've developed or learned before, right? Like I've, like I have to switch gears and do something different. And that's, that's not necessarily the case. It's you, you build, you know, kind of these protocols, if you will, or, pro, you know, on top of the processes that are there already or that, that work to be human and to have that real uh, interaction with the person. And then you, you build on top of that by, by helping them perhaps engage in 
you know, kind of behaviors or, or, or the work that you would do to address some of their particular issues, but, you know, not getting rid of what you've, what you've developed in the past, something that's, you know, really valuable, you're, you're adding to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's that fear like, Oh, well, if, if it's all common factors, all I have to do is when this guy walks in and say, Oh, that's not, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm creating a straw man of what common factors are, but you know, Oh, you know, that, that sounds really rough and horrible. And, and that that's going to have the same out, outcome. And, and I will say that even, even within the common factors research, there is, there is room, like some of the more advanced research shows, um, that there are some treatment differences and, and some of the treatment differences become pretty pronounced when you're talking about uh, the anxiety disorders too. So I, I think I, uh, and I remember, you know, Kevin, our, our professor saying like, hey, if you're not doing exposure treatment for panic disorder, you're probably, you're probably in the wrong. Um, and that's from a, a, a true blue Rogerian um, therapist. So yeah, I, I, I think so. I think the opposite is also something that people get concerned about too. Like they feel like, you know, therapeutic alliance and other common factors are so important and so essential to the process that they need to spend months and months and months and months building up alliance before we do anything else. Um, I was actually going to, I was actually going to say Michael worked in um, primary care when I, I, I was going to harken back to that experience, similar to what you're saying, Kevin, that's a, you know, that's a, a setting where you got to jump in fast, right? You don't have time and you have to figure out ways to build alliance super quickly. Um, and I think given what Kevin's saying that that's a, that's a mistake. Lots of people want to spend all this time building up this, this therapeutic alliance, you know, comment, just, I guess, comment on that, your experience in, in, does, is that necessary or how can you do that in a setting like primary care or, or sort of quickly when you have to be able to get that engagement and, and move on to, you know, kind of the, the shared goals and the treatment planning and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't even, hadn't even added that, you know, I was, I was complimenting like my, you know, the, the, uh, all the different professors I had, but I, you know, Primary care work is an excellent example of that. And I still remember the script that Dr. Ermel, that Jenna taught me, you know, snapshot. snapshot. <laughs> she said, there's one word you must say, um, and it's snapshot. Um, what's going and you, well, what's not going so well. That's right. And, and you would develop a little bit of a script. And, uh, it, but the, like, if, if you're, you're watching to see if you have that, if you're able to to engage with them quickly and develop that consensus and collaboration, remember remember common factors are not just about the warm fuzzy feelings. It's about uh, people getting on board with 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 the program and they they feeling like they trust you and that you are understanding them. And and if you can develop that quickly, especially for very focused uh, focused problems, like you can get going rapidly. Um, I remember Kevin and I we were in, we were in school. Uh, there was uh, we had a, a brief psych psychotherapy uh, expert come and speak with us, and, and he had a practice, and, and they'd done some research on it. And uh, I remember uh, one of the comments from from the research team was like, "This dude is really good." I don't think they said "dude" because I'm the California guy, but they said, you know, "This this professor, this doctor, is really really good at rapidly developing um, developing the relationship." 
I think that's that's a really important point that it, you know this isn't like a now we're going to develop a relationship now we're going to do a protocol kind of a thing like this is all happening at the same time and those you, you've referenced this a couple of times but the common factors isn't just that warm fuzzy feeling or it's not just that you know the unconditional positive regard it's one of them right but even the idea of having like you said setting goals or having realistic expectations for outcome or you know talking about you know, even some psychoeducation around what they're, they're experiencing, all of that stuff can be part of building the alliance too. And having that real human interaction, that real human relationship and connection while doing those things all contribute to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's lots of ways to do that. And, and there's some really good books out there, um, like, uh, heart and soul change is a Lambert book. I'm trying to remember the one by, uh, Scott Miller, um, it also talks about it. And, uh, uh, I've, I've actually, I've gone and done some, some therapy myself. And I remember one particular session where, um, where the, the, the doc, uh, I, I didn't feel was, was kind of hearing me very well. Um, I felt like, uh, like she kind of had her own agenda of what she believed I should think and feel. Um, and, and I was being a nice guy cause that's what I do. And I didn't, I didn't say anything. And at the end, uh, she gave me an outcome measure. And I think it's, I think it's the Scott Miller one. It's like the four item outcome, uh, measure. And, uh, and one of them was one of the questions was, do you feel like, uh, like the therapist understood you today? And I, I put no. And, uh, and we had a conversation about it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's like, like, and, and that, that was, a that was her taking care of ensuring that the common factors were present, uh, with, with me, uh, even, even though she had a very specific treatment model that she was working on. And that's kind of the second example of like, you know, almost when, and, and I don't mean an, a mistake, but you know, that story you told earlier about you kind of looking up and saying like, Hey man, this doesn't seem like it's working. And I think that's another going back to what Andy said about vulnerability. Um, you know, when, things aren't going well when you're not clicking. And if, and if you don't stop in that moment and try to address it, and, and that's almost what moves that alliance up even faster versus just kind of like pushing on with the protocol or pushing on with the next won't objective. The, won't the protocol police come and haul you away? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's a, it's a really good point of, of knowing when to um, really attend to the relationship and, 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 you know, Andy has referred to alliance ruptures before, like they tend to those things as they come up and, and recognize when it's okay to kind of pause whatever protocol or whatever, you know, checklist thing you were going to work through that day and really attend to that person in the room, that human in the room. Yeah. It reminds me a lot. It reminds me a lot of a conversation we had with uh, Dr. Robin Walser in a previous episode, um, talking about processes versus protocols, the importance of focusing on the processes and, and those relationship pieces are part of those. I, I can't remember the, the term she used. Andy, do you remember this is like these little slices of behavior or these, yeah, that uh, you know, are all part of what's going on in that room that we need to be attending to and not just are we checking the boxes in the right order and you know, are the protocol police going to come take us away, that kind of thing. So given all of that, Michael, and we appreciate you being here talking about this stuff with us, this is practical for your practice. We like to end any of our episodes with some actionable intel, things that practical tips that our listeners can take with them and implement 
you know, today regarding these things. So with regards to common factors and, and how that interweaves with EBPs, any thoughts about that? Any tips for? Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got a couple. I wish I remember the name of the person that said this. He was a, he's a world war one corpsman. And he said, uh, counting is an antidote to bias. And, uh, we, we fall in love with our, our treatment. We, 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 uh, think we're doing great, which is where you want, you know, you want to think that you want to feel like you're competent. Um, but the counting is a way to, to kind of understand where you're at. And so like, uh, you know, triple stomp the idea of, of doing some kind of outcome measure. And it's funny, that's, that's some of the research that I, that's how, what I did my dissertation on was, was outcome measures at the end of therapy. And so I, I always believed in it. I saw the research that when you, when you have the, the patient fill out um, measures of, of alliance, such as the outcome questionnaire, or uh, measures of, of of their status, and 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 you see if they are getting improvement, getting better or worse, and you can you can talk to them about that. Hey, it looks like you're actually feeling better. Like your symptoms seem to be going down. Like that's that's a way to demonstrate uh, empathy and, and that you're working together. Um, or if you're using some of the 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 Miller kinds of um, um, post-therapy assessments is four questions. Um, those, those are great ways to, and I guess we'll link to them. Those are great ways to, to double check and that, that counting really can, can work quite well. Um, the other thing that I, that I, that I love is, is kind of the Prochaska de Clemente trans theoretical model of, of you know, readiness for change. And, and, uh, uh, for a while it was kind of in vogue to, to add that to your treatment planning to consider, hey, where is this person in their readiness for change? Are they are they pre-contemplative? Are they like not even in a place where they they think they should change? Or are they kind of contemplating it, but but not really ready to to, to pull the trigger? Or are they in that you know contemplation and action or maintenance mode? So uh, so so adding a little bit of a consideration about you know, where the person is. I think is all all can be kind of subsumed in this idea of developing an alliance and being able to be empathetic. Is that kind of what you were what you're asking for? Thank you. I think that's fantastic. Those are some great tips and and uh, suggestions for folks. Really appreciate you having on. It's always a good time talking with you and and uh, kind of both reminiscing, but also you know really kind of taking on some of these topics and and uh, wrestling with them a bit. So. Yeah, it's a pleasure. You know, anytime to tell a few stories and, and get a few laughs and I'm, I'm happy to do that. It was really good to have you on today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.